0: If you'll turn with me this morning to the 19th chapter of the Gospel of John, we'll be looking at a very important passage. Briefly, considering two words that our Lord uttered from the cross that carries for it a message for us that will seem rather, to begin with, I think, incredible. Two words. I thirst. I was thinking of the Lord beginning His public ministry. He began His public ministry with a 40 day ordeal, being tempted of the devil. The scripture says, Then He hungered. That old adversary, that old serpent, the devil, endeavored to get Him to turn stones into bread to rely upon his deity in order to satisfy his hunger we'll deal with that why he did not do that that is rely upon his deity a little later on in the message and then I think that we have a passage where just before the Lord Jesus Christ cries it is finished Redemption, complete, over. He cries, I thirst. So in John chapter 19 and verses 28 and 29, we read, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Well, it may seem a bit incredible that the Lord, who is Lord of heaven and earth, as a matter of fact, the Lord who created heaven and earth, He who is from eternity, as Micah wrote, from everlasting, that he now on the cross is taking the sinner's place before the justice of God, bearing the transgressions of many. He who is the one by and through whom all things indeed were created, he is called in Scripture the Lord of glory. In Psalm 50, he says, If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. He who owns all things cries now from the cross, I thirst. Well, we know he could have called the waters to meet up and rise his parched lips. Just as easily as he rebuked the winds and the waves, which submitted to the voice of his command. But rather, we hear his cry, I thirst. The rock in the wilderness, at the blow of the rod of Moses, gushes forth to quench that thirst of the Hebrews he created the rocks and the water he fulfills that great type of the smitten rock now he cries from the cross I thirst when arriving at the place of crucifixion evidently before he was lifted on the cross Matthew, in Matthew 27, verse 34, records, They gave him vinegar to drink, mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. He wouldn't drink that bitter mixture. That mixture was evidently designed to dull the senses somewhat. We cannot imagine the agony of the cross, even in a physical sense. He would not drink that vinegar, but he would drink the cup of divine wrath in the stead of others. Now at the end of his six hours on the cross, the last three hours being a time of supernaturally imposed darkness, The sun refusing to show its face. A time of imposed darkness. And at the end of that time of darkness, he cries, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And now, just before his final, it is finished. He cries, I thirst. This time, he's offered a kind of sour wine, which the soldiers drank. It's put on a sponge. It's pressed to his holy lips. And John tells us that he made this cry in order that the scriptures might be fulfilled which again we shall consider shortly but don't think for a minute don't even put a thought in your mind that that cry would only be that which would fulfill the scriptures indeed it would it was out of a real felt need even though it would not be cried until he knew that everything was accomplished that all he was given to do was finished. It was a deep human need. There is no, there is so much more, really, that we could consider about this passage with these two short words of the Lord's cry, I thirst then we could get out of it in this message this morning. but Remember something. Remember that John, who alone records these words from the cross, he has a purpose to display the glory that's manifested in Christ, even while his humanity is so clearly evidenced john's gospel as he says in john 20 verses 30 and 31 many other signs truly did jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book but these are written that you might believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that believing you might have life through his name the glory of the cross is only known by us who by that cross been reconciled to God. The glory of that cross can only be exclaimed as the Apostle Paul by those of us who have been saved by the wondrous grace of God. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. So we approach this passage, and we must do so with reverence. We must do so with heads and hearts bowed, praying for understanding, that we may even the more adore our wonderful Lord, our glorious Savior. And so may these lessons enter into our hearts and draw us nearer the Savior. May they impact us to live unto Him and unto His glory and unto His glory alone. Some things you should be well aware of, but I will remind you of. And we draw from this passage and from these two words, I thirst. The words, I thirst, demonstrate something to us. They demonstrate a real and full humanity, which is no little thing. No little thing to understand that our Lord came, as we learn in the book of Hebrews, in all points, like as we are, yet without sin, In every point in which we come into the world. In every human need he possessed. And thirst is something that belongs to human beings. Needy human beings. We need water to sustain natural life. You can go without food for a longer period than you can water. It's absolutely necessary to sustain our natural life. But as another observed, God does not thirst. The angels do not. We shall not in glory. They shall hunger no more. Neither shall they thirst anymore. But we thirst now because we live in a world in which We are human in a world of sorrows. And thirst is part of it. We're reminded of some very important things. We're reminded that though John the Apostle sets forth clearly the deity, the godhood of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is also very careful to show that the Lord Jesus Christ is fully man as well as he is fully God. He took our humanity, he took it into union with his eternal deity in such an inscrutable way as not simply to become partly God and partly man. He was fully and truly God. And he was fully and he was truly man. He was not a humanized God, nor was he a deified man. He was more than a manifestation of God. He is God manifest in the flesh. His humanity did not remove a single thing from his deity. When he came into this world, became obedient unto death, he didn't lay aside his deity. He laid aside the way he was made known as deity, the manifestation to angelic beings. But his deity was as full when he was in his mother's womb Than it was from the eternal ages past. And that humanity removed absolutely nothing from his deity. And then, on the other hand, his deity removed absolutely nothing from his humanity. He was God, he was man. He came into this world through the means of a woman's womb, a virgin. He went through every process prior to his birth of human development. He was born and lay in his mother's arms and was nourished by her breast. When he came, he assumed full human nature. Every element of our humanity was possessed by him. Every element, excepting sin. He would become united to us to bring us out of sin. And unto union with God. He came into this world to save sinners. So you look in Hebrews chapter 2, briefly. In Hebrews chapter 2, and in verses 10 and 11. For it became him, for whom are all things, what a statement, all things are made by him and for him, and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctifieth, and they who are sanctified are all of one. For which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren. That's a wondrous thing, my brother and sister in Christ. That's a wondrous thing, dear saint. That he became one with us. United to us. That his desire is to bring us to this glorious reality of eternity with him. This cry from the cross is the cry of extreme suffering extreme need also for the purpose of bringing about the fulfillment of the prophetic scriptures so is again in John chapter 19 verse 28 after this Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished that the scripture might be fulfilled saith I thirst we should hear again with the deepest reverence we should admire the great truth that the Lord was in full control of his own mind and that his extreme suffering had not impaired his memory. I don't know about you but I suspect it's like me if I'm in some kind of difficult extreme pain that's about all I can think about. You and I have never been in pain Like our Lord was. You and I have never suffered as He did. Yet He's in full control of all of His faculties. Now, that has also another application we shall consider. We should here, indeed, with this deepest of reverence, admire this truth. His suffering did not impair His memory. This tells us as well as that his holy mind on the cross obviously scanned the whole of messianic prophecy. We cannot imagine the indescribable suffering and yet in his mind he scans the whole of messianic prophecy. And it tells us something else. He was fully conscious in his suffering. Most would sink under the weight of it, would not be conscious. But he's fully conscious. He's suffering in the highest degree, fully conscious of everything he is suffering. He took the death of the cross, he could have called myriads of angelic beings to deliver him from that they come from him or for him in the garden of the Gethsemane with the traitor who are you looking for Jesus of Nazareth I am. You should full well know what that means. God declares himself to be the I am. I am. What happened? They went backward and fell. He took the cross by his own volition, voluntarily. No one took his life. He lays it down. He lays his life down. He offers himself as a sacrifice. And in his suffering, nothing alleviated. Surely, if he could stand all messianic prophecy, he was fully conscious of every thing that pierced his body and soul thirst thirst was no small part of his sufferings he suffered in the sinner's stead he suffered on the cross the torments of hell One of those things, you remember what he told about the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man cried for Lazarus at least to bring him but a drop of water to cool his tongue, saying, I am tormented in this flame. I don't like sidebars too much. But I think that's significant that the tongue of that rich man is mentioned. For the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. It's set on fire of hell. It criticizes instead of uh, of loving. It finds fault instead of trying to help. It defames maliciously the character of others. It lashes out in great anger and fury. But that's a sidebar. The torment that the Lord Jesus Christ was experiencing on the cross was far more than simply his body. He suffered more in his soul than in his body. And that's why we have that cry that's drawn from Psalm 42. I'll quote you from Psalm 42. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the, the, the roaring, he says, of my words, in essence? Why art thou so far from helping me? All communion was severed with his father. All help was withheld from him. That caused him more pain and pain as his soul was made an offering for sin that caused him more pain than the bodily, incredible suffering he was under. You say, oh, preacher, do you have to preach this? Yes, I do. Because this was done out of his love for such sinners as me and you. we should here take further notice with the deepest of reverence and hearts bowed before the Holy Son of the living God that the Lord Jesus was in absolute, complete submission to his Father's will. He who caused the water to flow from the smitten rock for the needy Israelites in the wilderness, he who turned water to wine to gladden the marriage ceremony in Cana of Galilee, he who performed many miracles for others, never performed one for his own comfort ever. Pretty important for us to comprehend. You see, his purpose, his complete, total purpose, his complete self-sacrifice was to do the will of his Father. It is God who decreed salvation. It is God the Father who decreed salvation. And God the Son, the second person of the triune Godhead, is how that salvation would be accomplished. And by the cross. That's why when you follow his life, you hear him as a 12-year-old boy. And Joseph and Mary come and say, we've been looking for you. Why'd you do this? That's why he said, wish you not that I must be about my father's business. That's why when the apostles say, well, he's got to be hungry, you know, hadn't eaten for a good while. That's why he says in John 4 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Our passage is nearly finished. This cry just before it is finished. As the Son of Man In our place. He became obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. It would not be until everything was accomplished that he would cry, of course, it is finished. When the justice of God against our sins was carried out in full on our Savior. And all of the justice of God that we rightly deserve, all of the wrath of God was poured out on our Savior. He has made Him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Obedience on his part was perfectly performed. And he cries out of the deepest need. I thirst. It's also essential that we see here that his obedience involved the great fact. That the written word of God filled his thoughts. That's what filled his heart. That's what directed his ways. Just as we are charged to look at the word of God, to believe God, to walk in the way he gives us in his word. The Lord Jesus was directed by the word of God. By the scriptures to which he was fully obedient as he hung in agony his holy mind scanned the whole of prophetic scripture one thing remaining one thing before he would cry it is finished That prophecy was from Psalm 69, verse 21. They gave me gall for my meat. And in my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. That one scripture remaining to be fulfilled. He scans the scriptures. He cries. I thirst. No little thing, these two words from the cross, are they? Just before, just before he would cry, it is finished. Before that declaration that all was now done in order to secure the salvation of all of his redeemed ones, He reviewed the whole body of messianic prophecy to make certain that everything without any exception was completely fulfilled. No one ever meets the challenge to look into this word and see hundreds and thousands of years before multitudes of prophecies exactly fulfilled and explain it other than this is God's word. He cried out of extreme need, but in perfect submission to his Father, above that need. That's no little thing. I think, uh, didn't I say earlier, when I hurt, that's about all I can think about, if it's pretty bad hurt. When we hurt, that kind of gets our attention and holds it, doesn't it? And he had need. He was in the greatest agony anyone had ever been, and no one ever suffered like he. No one. And yet that need was subjugated to his obedience to his Father. All would be finished. All would be finished now, only after he was given the vinegar. And the greater reason he cried, I thirst. And the sponge was put to his parched and holy lips. What place does the Word of God have in regulating your life? What place does it have with you? Do you have to be prodded (laughs) to day by day, spend your time seeking God's face, seeking His Word? Seeking to know His will? Do you read it? then do you think upon it, meditate upon it. Do you do so with a heart purpose to obey? How does that come to one when Christ lives in them? When his life is truly in them? when his spirit is so in control of us that we can truly pray as the psalmist and walk in the ways of God, set forth in the written word. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We're not to study it just so that we'll get the information right. I'm not to study it just so I can come and expound the Word of God to you. It must direct our steps. It must be through the work of God's Holy Spirit. I can prepare. I can lay it out in order. But unless God comes in the preaching of His Word, it will not have its proper effect. Not even in the one who teaches it. There must be the power of God. I think so-called modern Christendom, if you want to use that word, lost sight of that. We need the supernatural power of God, the Holy Spirit. If we're going to live under Him, and no one's going to be saved without Him. Read Psalm 119. Think of the prayers of the psalmist. Order my steps in thy word. And let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Let me not put it in my mouth and then disobey it. Let's go somewhere else. Say, thank you, preacher. Let's go somewhere else. The natural man is ruled by thirsts that never leave him satisfied, ever. Let me repeat that. The natural man is ruled by thirst that will never leave him satisfied. You do realize that metaphorically in Scripture, thirst expresses desires and cravings as well as need. Men are forever going after that which they crave, don't we? Don't we seek after, make our plans to go after that which we really want? Don't we do that? We have some delightful thing we want to do. Don't we make our plans over that? If we want some object, bad enough, we'll study, we'll do everything we can to get the best thing we can. We seek what we want. Is that not true? We seek what is really in our heart. And what man finds may be the pleasures of sin for a little while even eventually it's over and he's empty the soul is empty whether it be for wealth worldly honors pleasures whether those pleasures be sinful or legitimate Worldly wisdom and knowledge. Or even for what has been called the craze for that which is novel we live in that day. It's always eventually leaving one empty with an aching void in their soul. There are a lot more avenues now for young people can get shut up in their rooms. On the internet. Converse with friends that move them. Play games that are violent. And lose sensitivity to the sacredness of human life and take it easily. But oh, they thought this is what would make them happy. To have these things. And it ends moving them in an incredibly wicked way. Being plain. That's my job. The scriptures call that hewing out cisterns. Not sisters, sisters. that holds water. But these cisterns hold no water. And in the natural man, there's always that which will remain unsatisfied. If he gets what he thinks he wants, he wants more. What he has loses its appeal. By the way, it's the same with the natural religionist. The natural religionist who, though he or she may profess even to believe in Christ, yet has not Christ, tries to fill the void with religious duties and performances. It's enough (laughs) to show up at a church. Some think there's some magical something about the Lord's table. If they take that, it really makes them better. Baptism apart from faith and union with Jesus Christ is but getting wet. Going through the duties. Some don't even do that, up and back. Here and there. Whatever comes along takes precedence over what should belong to God. If they are honest, they'll find that all of their religious duties will leave them eventually saying, I thirst. Not until they quit depending upon their religious works. Not until they give themselves up to the one who cried, it is finished. And rest alone in Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Will they never thirst again. Only then will they have the water for which they'll never again thirst. The natural man, unless God, by grace, works in him or or her, they don't know their real need. Anything takes precedence over the things of God with them. Any passing thing, any fleshly desire, And they'll seek things which cannot quench their thirst, but will leave them void in the end. Do you remember I was telling you I was meditating about my times are in thy hands? Yesterday and today? You think about your times, your childhood, it's gone, it's over, forever. You think about your youth. Well, some of you are still there. You think about the sins of your youth. Some of you are tormented by them. You can't go back and change it. It's all over. It's done. If we could advise young people and they had enough wisdom to listen, they don't know what's going to happen later on in their lives. They're not going to have peace in their souls unless they come to know the living son of god and submit in faith to him only give themselves up then they'll find a joy they never realized they could have a cleansing from sin that has the word of god declaring to them in promise i will never Leave thee nor forsake thee. Their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's table. Otherwise, there will come an emptiness that can never be filled by the things of this world. They don't know themselves. Nor why, they must always try and drown out the voice of their own soul, their own consciences, and fill it up with noises and activities and entertainments and distractions in the world. Happy the day. Happy the day if by grace the day comes when they realize that they are God's creation. It's God who puts every baby in the womb. It's God who gives life. And their life be the day should it come that they realize they're God's creation and that only in returning to him will they find true satisfaction in themselves there's only one way there's one way there is no other in which the thirst of the soul can be satisfied one way only the lord jesus made it known to the woman at the will of samaria you remember that in john chapter 4 He comes and asks her for a drink of water. She's surprised about that because Jews don't talk to Samaritans, and especially a rabbi. They don't talk to women. He did. By the way, he exalted the woman above any way she could ever possibly be otherwise exalted. Christianity puts the woman in a far, far greater place than did the heathen, or even the Jews of old. Why, you're a Jew. Why, you're asking me for a drink of water. Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. The true soul-quenching water only comes by His gift from Him. By Him being made known to the soul. By a faith that calls upon Him in full trust of Him, in Him alone, relying upon Him, crucified only, no works, no merit, as a desperately needy sinner. So he says to that woman at the well of Samaria, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. From the sequel, we're sure that happened. Come to Christ. Come to Him while the truth is before you. Come to Him now. God doesn't say, put it off until tomorrow. He says, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come now. Delay and you may never come until you meet God in judgment and have to pay for your own sins, which is a horrific thing. Come without delay. If your soul is thirsting for Him, blessed are they That hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. The Christ who cried from the cross after all was finished, after everything was done to redeem sinners, after all was accomplished, who cried, I thirst he now stands ready to quench the thirst of all who know who he is. Why he died. And who call upon him in faith. The calls in scripture. Old Testament. Oh, everyone that, what? Everyone that thirsteth. Come you to the waters. You want him? Do you really want him? You can have him. That's that's all. You feel your need of him? You can have him. The spirit and the bride say come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The one who will is the one who has that thirst. May God implant that in your heart if it's never been there. And may you and I, who know the Savior, who heard his voice in his gospel, who hear something far better than this pastor's voice, you hear his word and you trust him. My, what a blessed thing. To know him, to belong to him. To know our thirst has been quenched forever in our Savior. May God bless the ministry of His Holy Word. If you have a hymn, we'll sing one. 2.50
1: I'm not sure we know I don't think we know that one we do we know it oh yeah we do we know it we know the tune so we'll sing it
0: Okay, let's stand